0: A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. Glad you joined us on the uh, program today. Uh, So just to get you started, in case you haven't heard, the Supreme Court taking no action on uh, Monday morning in the uh, case New York City, excuse me, New York State Rifle and Pistol Association, Versus Bruin. This is a case challenging New York State's carry laws. The uh, court considered this case in conference on Friday, just a couple of days after the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled in a case called Young versus Hawaii that the Second Amendment does not protect any general right to openly carry a firearm. The Ninth Circuit has already declared that the Second Amendment does not protect a general right to carry concealed, meaning that the Ninth Circuit now views the right to keep and bear arms as the right to keep arms. So the court did not deny the uh, New York challenge today. They did not accept the New York challenge either. Instead, they uh, held it over. They will likely consider this uh, at their conference again on Friday. Uh, I, I, I wish that I knew what was going on inside the court. I, I can only guess that the uh, Ninth Circuit's decision has if anything, quite frankly, uh, it has only amplified the split in the circuits. Uh, the Seventh Circuit, of course, has said that, uh, yeah, there is a right to bear arms. It's right there in the uh, you know Second Amendment, the right to keep and bear shall not be infringed. Uh, but what the court does now is still anybody's guess. They could take the New York case. They could say, "Nah, nah. you know, we think the issues in the uh, Hawaii case are are clear, so we're going to hold off and we're going to take the Ninth Circuit case that should be arriving at the court. Uh, Within a couple of weeks, we should uh, see this considered in conference. I still believe, and maybe this is just hopeless optimism on my part, but I still believe that the court is going to accept one of these two cases. Uh, The court did turn away today a challenge from New York Attorney General Gabir Gruel uh, in a case called Gruel versus Defense Distributed, Gruel is trying to stop Defense Distributed from distributing files that allow individuals to print a firearm from their 3D printer. And a Fifth Circuit judge uh, granted an injunction barring uh, Gruel from doing this. He had tried to uh, send a cease and desist letter uh, to Defense Distributed, basically saying you can't make these files available to anybody because somebody in New Jersey might be able to download these files. Uh, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals said, no, that, that's not gonna fly. Uh, and Gruel had asked the Supreme Court to step in and smack down the Fifth Circuit and allow for this cease and desist letter uh to be in effect. The Supreme Court turned away that challenge by Gruel, which is a good sign, by the way. For those who say, ah, this court's not gonna do anything to lift a finger to help our segment rights. Well, they they could have granted cert in that case if this was a court that is hostile uh, to the Second Amendment. They did not do that. Grebier-Gruel is going to be very disappointed in that decision. Uh, But now, Second Amendment supporters, we need to see the court step up and act. Because the gun control debate is certainly continuing, although, (laughs) and this brings us to our main topic today, the New York Times columnist Frank Bruni says that we should not call it a gun control debate. No. Stop it with gun control. Enough already, he writes. Language matters, and this language doesn't help. Doesn't help gun control activists, is what Frank Bruni is actually saying here. This is the start of his column. It says, The words tumbled readily from Josh Hawley's lips as he argued for doing little in the wake of the Atlanta and Boulder, Colorado massacres. That's reason enough not to let them tumble from the rest of ours. They were Tom Cotton's chosen term for the laws that reasonable Americans are calling for and that he, in all his trademark compassion, opposes. That makes me, Frank Bruni writes, triply determined to latch on to different language and to urge other journalists to do the same. Okay, first of all, Frank, you're not a journalist. If the phrasing that Republican senators use to describe gun control makes you want to not use that phrase. That makes you an advocate. It makes you an activist. But it doesn't make you an unbiased journalist. Bruni says, I'm talking about gun control, a phrase whose day should be done. Its day is done to judge by many prominent Democratic politicians who've rightly recognized the prejudicial aspect of control with its ring of repression and moved away from it. You don't hear Joe Biden talking about gun control. Not anymore. The same holds true. He writes for other Democrats urging gun safety, a preferable coinage, if not a perfect one. So Bruni and other gun control activists understand Ooh, gun control sounds bad. We don't like and, and and we want we want to tweak the language. We want to massage it so that our side, the gun control side, Uh, doesn't have to deal with the negative connotations of the phrase gun control, even though, as Bruni writes, there's an argument for gun control, absolutely, he says. It's accurate. It's accurate. It's accurate, but he doesn't want to use it. Because even though that phrase is accurate, it hurts the gun control crowd. So he's asking journalists to not be accurate, but instead to use language that he believes helps the gun control side of the debate. He says the legislation in question entails... More government control over who can purchase guns and when and how. Gun control is probably the most instantly and widely recognized shorthand for the debate over such laws. And journalism depends on verbal economy, my own columns notwithstanding. But it's off-key. It's unhelpful. And it's an example of the loaded language that often shapes our discourse on important matters. It's unhelpful. Again, if you're a journalist, you don't give a damn. If it's helpful or not to your cause, because you're supposed to report on the facts. And as Frank Bruni has acknowledged, gun control is an accurate phrase. He just doesn't want to use it. Bruni continues. He says, um, is vocabulary destiny? It certainly plays its part. I don't think gun control is the main thing standing in the way of additional measures to protect Americans from gun violence and to diminish the number and near instant availability of guns in a country crazily saturated with them. But how we write and talk about this issue is inevitably consequential. How we write and talk about any issue that engenders passionate disagreement is. Yeah, it is. And again, Frank Bruni has decided uh, let's just call it something else. Even if that's what it is. Let's just call it something else. And look, Bruni's not the first one to acknowledge this. In fact, you know, the the phrase gun control has not been used by gun control groups for decades. As Bruni points out, he says about two decades ago, the advocacy group Handgun Control Incorporated, which began in the 1970s as the National Council to Control Handguns, formally changed its name to the Brady Campaign to Prevent Gun Violence. It's now just Brady. And that, he says, was part of a march towards safety. Coach Jonathan Schultz, an associate professor at Cornell University, who says, if you're a person who doesn't want to see our gun laws change, it makes sense that you would evoke the rhetoric of gun control, especially in a place like America, where individual freedom is so celebrated. It's much harder to justify being against safety than it is to justify being against control. But calling something gun safety doesn't mean that it is. Because when every town for gun safety talks about gun safety, what they mean is don't own a gun. Which another way of putting that is gun control. Bruni continues. Oh, he actually. Uh, I want to skip ahead just a a little bit here. He uh, also quoted uh, and spoke to a um, guy named. Uh, I was going to say Elliot Spitzer, but that is not the uh, the Spitzer in question. Uh, Robert Spitzer, who is a professor at State University of New York Cortland, uh, who is an anti-gun professor, and. Spitzer was asked by Frank Bruni if gun control was so ingrained, so automatic, so generic at this point that it was ipso facto neutral and not a problem. And Spitzer said, I used to say I study gun control. Now I say I study gun policy. I'm confessing to you for attribution, I suppose, that I've changed the way I describe myself. And he says part of that is about accuracy because he's interested in all gun policy, permissive as well as restrictive. Part of it is a search for a, quote, less loaded term. If Spitzer's doing it, he wonders, why can't we? And by we, I mean the mainstream media. And by we, I mean me. (laughs) He says I've inadvertently used gun control in several columns over the past two years. Inadvertently. In my weekly newsletter several days ago, I wrote, quote, more stringent fire restrictions. And instead, I was steering clear of gun control only to land in another ditch by the side of the road. Do you know why that is, Frank? Because no matter what you call it, what you are demanding is gun control. You are demanding more restrictions be placed on legal gun owners. And Americans who are lawfully allowed to possess a firearm, in fact, to both keep and bear firearms. Now again, you can call it whatever you want. Just like gun control advocates made up the phrase assault weapon, which doesn't have a real definition. The definition of assault weapon in California is different than the definition of assault weapon in New York State, and they're both different than the federal definition of assault weapon during the assault weapons ban of the 1990s. That's because the real definition of assault weapon is gun, I want to ban. And gun safety's real definition, according to the quote-unquote, gun safety advocates, is don't own a gun in the first place. For gun owners, gun safety means education. It means training. But for anti-gun activists in the media, like Frank Bruni, in academia, like Robert Spitzer, and in politics, like Joe Biden, it ultimately all boils down to gun control. Now, again, they can try to change the language in order to try to change the law. But Frank Bruni has acknowledged what this game is all about. They don't like that phrase as accurate as it is. In fact, they don't like that phrase because it's accurate. Because it accurately describes what they want to do. And when we accurately describe what these folks want to do, more Americans say, I don't want any part of it. And so instead of changing their minds, they want to change the way we talk about these issues. Well, I'm sorry, Frank. You've acknowledged gun control is an accurate term. And that's the phrase I'm going to keep using. Now, let's turn our attention to today's Armed Citizens story, our good deed of the day, as well as our recidivist report. This one is unbelievable. Moreno Valley, California. Juveniles accused in the death of a 13-year-old student, sentenced to probation, and released to parents. This is from uh, ABC7 in uh, California. Story headed down uh, Friday afternoon. Two teenagers who admitted, admitted to involuntary manslaughter in the fatal assault of a classmate at a Moreno Valley school, have been sentenced to probation and released to the custody of their parents. The 14-year-old defendants must serve 150 hours of community service, undergo therapy, and enroll in a character-building program. According to Riverside County Superior Court Judge Roger Lubes, the victim, 13-year-old Diego Stoltz, was beaten to death at a middle school, landmark middle school, September 16, 2019. Cell phone video taken from the scene shows Diego being punched and then falling and hitting his head on a pillar in the schoolyard. He died nine days later from head trauma. Riverside County's DA and probation department, both wanted the two teens to serve more time. The judge said the law required the, quote, least restrictive terms to promote rehabilitation. He said the two boys were, quote, directly responsible for Diego's death, even if they did not intend to kill him. The judge added that to confine the teens to more time behind bars with sophisticated and more mature criminals would do more harm than good. Defense attorney David Wall says the idea that they did not go to youth prison shouldn't be seen as a slap on the wrist. Actually, they're going to have to do a lot of work to eventually complete the probation, which probably won't end until their 18th birthday. And they're going to have to do 150 hours of community service. They're going to have to go to therapy. They're going to have to enter a character building program. So what? They killed a child, and the judge says, "Look, under California law, we've got to be as 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 easy going as we possibly can because they're juveniles. We want to re- we want to rehabilitate them. I get that. I do get that. I also think perhaps the rehabilitation efforts uh, would be better served in a confined setting, at least for some period of time." The uh, Stoltz family didn't want to comment. The defendants, who spent a total of 47 days in Juvenile Hall, uh, were ordered to return to juvenile court on June 25th for a progress report to the judge. The judge says if they don't comply, then he'll uh, order them remanded back to Juvenile Hall. I'll believe it when I see it. And again, the criminal justice system in California is already so crazy, providing another perfect example of why we need to... Reform the uh, criminal justice system before we uh, even begin to uh, look at uh, more gun control laws. In this case, again, a firearm wasn't even used, fists and feet. Which, by the way, according to the FBI, more commonly used in homicides than a rifle of any kind. But for these juveniles, doesn't matter what weapon was used. They got a slap on the wrist after punching a teen in the face that he his was death. Today's Armed citizen story uh, from uh, Evansville, Indiana, uh, right across the river actually in uh, Kentucky, Ohio County, Kentucky, where a homeowner on Saturday morning shot a man trying to enter his house. Authorities say that they responded to the uh, 3200 block of Livermore Road in Hartford, Kentucky, just after four o'clock Saturday morning. Now, you can see from the uh, satellite imagery here, this is a rural area. So the police response, likely not instantaneous. According to authorities, Joe Snooks of Paducah, Kentucky, trying to get inside that home when the homeowner fired one round from his handgun, shot Snook in the right knee to protect himself and his family. According to the uh, local media report, Snooks appeared to be under the influence of, quote, an intoxicating substance. He was uh, taken to Owensboro, Kentucky uh, Health Regional Hospital for treatment of his injuries, The investigation ongoing at this time, but this uh, sure looks to be a case of self-defense there in uh, rural northern Kentucky. And uh, finally today, our good deed of the day from Sioux Falls, the uh, Argus Leader newspaper. Started out as a routine street maintenance for a man named uh, Brian Ripkema. It was uh, back on February the 4th. About 2 o'clock in the morning, the uh, employee of the uh, city of Sioux Falls, South Dakota, plowing snow near uh, Interstate uh, 29, when he saw a man standing on an overpass bridge, and he said it caught my eye because I was wondering why this guy was out when it was snowing like this. And then he noticed the guy was on the wrong side of the guardrail on the bridge. So Ripkema stopped his snowplow, rushed to the man's side. Started up a conversation, uh, and in the meantime, he called 911, told his co-worker to use his truck to block traffic from driving by while they were interacting with the man. Called the dispatch, came in at 2.27 a.m. There's a a police officer a few blocks away. He responded to the scene a few minutes later, and he was able to get the man off the bridge uh, and uh, into the uh, custody of uh, mental health workers. Kimma said, it's one of those things that felt like it took a half hour, but it actually took around five minutes. He said, I remember telling him that life is too short and it's not worth it. This was the uh, first time that Kimma has ever had to deal with anything like this in his uh, time on the job. He says, you know, usually folks on bridges, they're walking, they're not stopped. Obviously, they're not on the other side of the railing holding on with their hands. He said, that, that's not right. Now, here's the thing. Brian Ripkema didn't tell anybody about this. He didn't seek media attention. It happened back in February. It's almost April. We're we're now learning about this. The news only came out, according to the Argus Leader, when someone from the police department actually informed his boss about what he had done. Back on uh, March 19th, Mayor Paul Tenhaken recognized Ripkema's actions, presented him with an award given to city employees who demonstrate commitment to the city's core values. He said, uh, quote, Brian's actions on that snowy evening show much, uh, shows how much he genuinely cares for people. While his actions were heroic, for Brian, it was just the right thing to do to help someone in need. We need more of that attitude in our community, people who notice a neighbor in need and step up to help. Well, amen. As a matter of fact, the Argosy reports that uh, Ripkema was one of two good Samaritans that same day in Sioux Falls who helped prevent a suicide attempt. Later that afternoon, February the 4th, Joseph Henley was driving home from work when he noticed a woman on the wrong side of the fence on an overpass over Interstate 229. He pulled over. He and a group of other people uh, comforted the woman, prevented her from jumping into traffic. Brian Rakima says uh, he wants stories like his and Joseph Henley's to shine a light on the bigger issue, the the folks that are hurting and need help. He says, uh, I don't want recognition for this. He says, quote, I wanted him to get help. I just hope he got the help and can start to live a life like us. Well, in the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing. Brian Rakima, we thank you, sir, for your very good deed. Now, that is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms, Cam & Company. Thank you very much for being a part of the program, as always. We will be back tomorrow with even more of the latest Second Amendment news and information from all across the nation. But uh, don't forget, you can check out BearingArms.com throughout the day. That way you will never miss a story. Uh, you can subscribe to Town Hall Media on YouTube. Also, Arms Cam & Company on Rumble.com amazon.com uh apple.com apple podcasts uh, spotify soundcloud stitcher we got you covered as well until we talk again be well be safe call it gun control and be free